New Galaxy Enterprises proudly presents Threshold Radio. This is Johnny Blue Star. Welcome to Threshold, a global media event. Is the universe just a random dance of atoms, or is it a manifestation of a supremely intelligent architect? Can its purpose, or our purpose here on Earth, be adequately assessed? Can we commune with it, know its intentions, cooperate with its direction? Here, we define threshold as a gateway state of awareness, allowing mankind to cross into a place of real cognition. Threshold allows us to approach questions of higher reality through the door of experience rather than mere belief. Welcome to Threshold, where we tear away the veil from commercial media, bringing our audience and participants into another realm of reality and enhanced communication. Initially, in the last hour, talking to Sarah Westall from Business Game Changers, her own radio show, we spoke of the problem with disinformation by mudding and distorting the situation of the economy. This disinformation is certainly disturbing, but its effect is magnified a hundred times by the establishment press, which many of us see as controlled by giant corporations, wealthy individuals who control those stations, and governments whose agent, whose, and government whose agenda is often the byproduct of corporate special interests. Sarah, you, uh, one of the things that you have done is interviewed um, the gentleman called the Dark Journalist, who um, we had a program on the private space program, which was very fascinating. But um, why don't we play the clip that you did about his point of view about what dark journalism is and what it has to do with real journalism that should be here. Uh, well, it's an excellent question. Dark journalism is basically, uh, I see that it, it has to take the full spectrum of what is out there and not just the official story or the secondary kind of conspiracy theory. So a long time ago, I decided from analyzing news that I would split it up into three different categories. The official story would be the main category. Then the secondary part would be researchers who would take different aspects of the story and start to deconstruct the official story, because very often the official story would have holes in it. And then finally, the third piece was what I call the wild story, or junk conspiracy, which was intentionally thrown out there to throw everyone off and to keep supporting the official story. So the secondary story, which is often called the conspiracy theory, is... The, this kind of dark journalism where people look at incidents like the crash of the economy in 2008. The official story on it was, well, there were some derivatives guys out there and they, uh, they got in there and they mucked up the financial works and here we are. But as it turns out, some really good financial researchers went in there and said, actually, a lot of this was planned and a lot of this was due to reckless investing and some people were making money off this crash. And that became a kind of conspiracy theory, but actually, in truth, uh, it was based on sound research, and so therefore, it, it had more grounding in reality. And then the third thing that came up was people were saying all these wild things about, well, they need the money for FEMA camps, or, you know, they're, they're really taking it out there. And you find a lot of those stories are fueled by the same forces that put out the official story in the first place to kind of confuse the issue. And so dark journalism gets to the total picture. It's something where we need to look at the full spectrum in order to get real answers. We can't be afraid to go there. 
So what did you think of that? Well, Dark Journalist is a really interesting character because he goes into topics that most or many people will not go into. And he believes that you you need to go there. You see, his, his tagline is, we'll go there. And what that means is issues that a lot of people just are afraid to go there. You know, you feel like you're going to be labeled a nut if you go there. But if he has legitimate, smart people who have really good facts, he'll go there and talk about almost anything. And he dives in the topics. And some of the people that he has are just are almost all of the people he have are amazing individuals, high up in governments, um, scientists, PhDs, uh, really interesting people. And he talks about things that, you know, a lot of people won't go there. He'll talk about abductions and he'll talk about the JFK assassination. You know, people do talk about the assassination, but he'll talk to high-level officials that were involved with the JFK assassination and go there. He'll ask all the deep questions. But I also wanted to talk to him about journalism in general because there's this big, like people are noticing, and you go on YouTube, you go other places, you see all these conspiracy theories and all these alternative media things that are talking about all sorts of weird things. And I wanted his view on what he thought of that. And this is what that clip is about, how there's like three different levels of things. There's the official view there's the what he dubs the, you know the dark journalism where you actually go and you dig up the truth and you figure out really what's going on and then there's the conspiracy conspiracy theories that are led by nuts and by the the official people who are trying to spin things to make you know to have people go in wrong directions and to make the legitimate stories seem like it's goofy you know they'll take I the really way- believe that's true I really believe that's true particularly um like in the area of the private space program, but also in some of these very strange stories about uh, our government controlling time travel, uh, having having interstellar capacities for traveling to the stars, and certainly inhabiting Mars in great quantities of population uh, that I think are not coming from from anybody who even believes them, but are very cleverly fashioned. Well, because then they make people look like bozos, right? They try to get it far out there, but then they they display it in ways that are that seem really smart and things. And so then it discredits everybody in that whole genre. You know, another thing that's really disturbing is um, something that is spoken of by um, Dalphine Hagan in one of your interviews, because our our press is not being protected anymore. And this is a a tremendously interesting clip. Let's play it. It's true that uh, we have observed many things these recent years which are concerning uh, in regard of press freedom in a democracy like the U.S. And really our main concerns uh, which explain this uh, ranking at the 49th position are, if we want to, to sum up, are two main things. First, it's we have observed in the recent years, um, many times journalists have been arrested while covering demonstrations. So last year, it was uh, especially during the the protest um, in Ferguson. So we re- we at least fifteen journalists were arbitrarily arrested during the confrontation between the police and the demonstrators. And even even if they are clearly marked as journalists, they still get arrested. Yes, there's been uh, many cases of journalists clearly identified as journalists. The police knew they were journalists, but they were 
arrested. So, which is just things which should not happen in a, in a democracy. And unfortunately, we have seen that in 2014, but we continue to see that this year in 2015. So that's one concerns which really remain high. But the other main concern is really what we called uh, here kind of war against uh, journalist sources or war against whistleblowers. You probably know that the Obama administration has uh, prosecuted eight alleged whistleblowers, which is the highest number under any previous administration combined. And what are, what are they prosecuting them for? So they are prosecuting them under the Espionage Act, so making the point that leaking valuable information to journalists is an act of espionage. So mm -hmm. this is a, a first concern for us. But what is really concerning for us in regards of press freedom is that in a country where almost all information related to national security is classified and secret, exactly. the only way to know another part of the story than the official PR press conference truth is it's leaks. Leaks are really the lifeblood of investigative journalists. You know, I'm particularly affected by what she said about the Patriot Act. Well, you know, she's the, I think people have heard of uh, Reporters Without Borders and they put out the Freedom of the Press Index. And I wanted to talk to her because the United States is now at 49th out of, I don't know, 180 countries or 149 countries, something like that. We're not doing so hot on the freedom of the, freedom of the press. And her role in that organization is she's the head of the U.S. division. And so I wanted her input on why are we like that and what's really going on. And the main reason why we've dropped so far in the press index is because our persecution of whistleblowers. The current administration has persecuted more uh, whistleblowers under this administration than all past administrations combined. And they do it under the Patriot or the, the Espionage Act and claim that they are, you know, it's illegal because they're doing es illegal espionage when really it's just normal journalism. And like she says, when we have a country that takes everything and says it's top secret for national security, how are we ever supposed to get to the truth? Leaks are how you do journalism. And so how are we supposed to get to the alternative story versus the official story? Because so often the official story is what they need you know, to spin and do what they need to do. But if we don't have the real story out there, how do we keep them in check? Do you remember the movie called The Insider with Russell Crowe? Did you ever see that I movie? I remember it. I don't. I don't know. It's, if I it's, it's about it's about a scientist who is disaffected by what's going on inside a, a tobacco company. It's a true oh, story. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, with Al Pacino. It, it's a really. I, I'm I'm actually in the process of watching it, and um, it has always moved me tremendously. But after all that, he couldn't get. He didn't get on sixty minutes with the real stuff. You know all the things he went through, and it shows you how tied up even then you know that the press is tied up with the corporate stuff and and 60 minutes was probably one of the more liberated types of programs well that's but, why alternative media is so important right now the internet is so important but we have to keep it 
like that. And, and the more people that realize that the, there's alternative sources and realize what sources are legitimate and what ones aren't, um, it's just, it's so important for our freedom. That's, and that's a tough one because it's often not so simple to tell anything like that. It's not. It's well, not. We're going to go to a break now and we'll be right back. This next song is called My Heart is Ready. It was originally composed by Edgar Ahrens as a kind of spiritual song, but later was modified when we turned it into an English song called My Heart is Ready. It still has that spiritual quality and it still seems like one's heart, yes, it may be open in a romantic way, but it's also seemingly capable of listening to the song as one's heart is opening to God. It's sung by Patricia Welch. Here it is. Russian composer Edgar Aaron for quite a few years, building an inventory of songs, many of which feature singer-performer Patricia Welch. We will soon be releasing these songs, components of an album and a musical in progress called Hadley's Castle. When Edgar and I first got together, I was amazed by the brilliance of his musical scores created for movies, TVs, and animations. Here is a sample of the work he did on the Russian TV series, available now on Amazon, called The Secret Agent's Memoir which had two seasons. This score is called Escape and was created for the first season.
I am very pleased to say that Bridge of Light Productions, a division of New Galaxy Enterprises, is proud to be the contact point for television and film companies seeking information about this amazing composer's work. If you're in the entertainment business and wish to know more, contact me at johnnybluestar at gmail.com. That's johnnybluestar at gmail.com. If you like Threshold Radio, a program which deals with core issues affecting our personal, political, and spiritual lives, and advocates the creation of an enlightened, informed citizenry, not only in America, but throughout the world, then you might think of supporting both your product and business and our message by advertising on our show. All programs are archived and are supported in various ways, including social media, our outreach being broadcast weekly on VegasOnNetRadio.com, a very advanced internet broadcasting station, but also archived directly on our websites on YouTube and in SoundCloud. We believe in time we will have a very broad outreach. Through New Galaxy Enterprises, our parent company, we can create a wide range of marketing and advertising components to complement your advertising on Threshold Radio and increase your outreach in many creative and exciting ways. If interested, just go to www.thresholdradio.com and fill out a contact form with your interest. That's www.thresholdradio.com. Perhaps the most serious aspect of what we've been talking about so far, which is the sort of the politicalization, perhaps the most serious part of this distortion of information about politics and the use of propaganda and misdirection is the creation of endless wars. Perhaps two of the gravest examples of this were the various stories told about 9-11, which has led to massive surveillance and the destruction of whatever was left of the pleasure of airline travel, as well as the Iraqi war. Of course, this also led, and insofar as it led to the war against Iraq, that was permeated with rather large fibs dealing with the reality of weapons of mass destruction. At least that's how my take on it, Sarah. What do you think? Well, I, yeah, they had other agendas of why they wanted to go in there, and they needed a reason. End of story. And then you go into the, the things that happened with Hillary Clinton. There are many people who are, have assaulted her for her actions in Benghazi, but one of the things that they, they claimed, and I'm not saying it's true, was that she was hiding her attempts to arm some of the dissidents who were affiliated with al-Qaeda in an effort to overthrow Assad. So again, you have the at least the, the that kind of nebulous possible connection between covert actions and things that we see on the surface, like, oh, there was a, there was a video that these people were angry about, and so they attacked us, which was probably totally, di- totally discredited. And then there was the, um, this covert thing. Just like in the emails that are that are being distributed and say, well, for sure, we know that some of this was to hide the intrusions on the campaign of Bernie Sanders. But there's also the claim that it was to hide some of the actions of the relationship between her job and the Clinton Foundation, which is even more serious. The Clinton Foundation is a pretty serious issue, you know, as far as manipulating. It's it's what the John Perkins what we're talking about with the John Perkins, the economic hitman, it's it's at that level. It's that stuff. It's a giant. It's a if it's true, and I'm reading for the second time. I'm reading Clinton Cash. I'm looking at it very carefully. It's just gigantic. I'm not well, saying it's true. I'm not making that allegation because it's very hard to actually, you know, be enough of an investigative reporter that you can really say exactly. something with the 
with the strength that, say, Seymour Hirsch will say something. Well, and that's the problem is that her position and what she's trying to go for is a very powerful position. So you're, you have enemies everywhere trying to take you down. And people will go to all lengths to take you down. So it's, it's important to weed through all that. Right? And there's there's so much to weed through. You're talking about billions of dollars to weed through. Well, it's hard. You know, Trump's, Trump is the same way. He's being attacked like crazy. Think people are making things up. He's attacking like crazy. It's really difficult to know what, whether it's spin or truth or, you know, whether anything's true, no, especially th- in politics. One thing is that, you know, he, has had, he says he has no bankruptcies. And well, not as, personal I, as I understand it, yeah, he had, like, if I was making a motion picture, I would do it like everyone else does. I'd create an LLC, and the investors would know if it didn't work out, they'd lose their investment, and I wouldn't be personally liable. And I'm yes. sure that's kind of the sort of bankruptcies he had. Maybe sometimes they, they didn't know. But the point is that you, so he can say one thing and it'll be true, and in another well, level, it won't be she's true. She's the same way. Any business person, any entrepreneur that started multiple companies, the the businesses have gone through bankruptcy. I there is there's very few entrepreneurs that have avoided bankruptcy at some point in their life. Right now, the problem is if you use that as a tool to enrich yourself, and if you have a pattern of doing that, and that's where the problem lies. And I mean, I don't, I don't know if he has or has not because I haven't dug into it. But to just vilify somebody for going through bankruptcy is not, not appropriate because that's why it's in place. And most successful entrepreneurs have had to go through something like that. But if you say that you haven't, that's another thing. And you don't clarify it. it well, exactly. Well, well, he hasn't personally, but his businesses have. And, and it's a little bit... Not truthful, but, you know, they're all like that. You can dig into Clinton. A lot of the stuff she says isn't, you're like, well, that's not really true, right? Well, yeah, but, you know, should how much should we excuse them? I don't, I, I'm not, there's no excuse for it. I'm just. I, I mean, it's just that it's so commonplace. It's not you, right. And if you are straightforward and you say it, then they cream you over it. Well, now we're going to turn to another point that Naomi Wolf brings up. And, uh. I really think that this, you know, this point that she's going to make about sort of state secrets and black budgets is very, very important. So let's hear this tape. I honestly think the Patriot Act is the most damaging set of authorizations and it keeps coming up and being reauthorized, coming up and being reauthorized. And why is that so dangerous? Well, for the reasons that we've been talking about, Sarah, it... I know some of the answers, but I want you to... <laughs> right? I'm not that ignorant, I but... I can't believe that years <laughs> later we're still talking about the Patriot Act. I sort of thought, surely in America, you know, this will be gone in a week and a half or, you know, by, by next year, surely. I mean, it's so dangerous because it makes us not ourselves, in a, a nutshell. It's so dangerous because it allows for perpetual war, perpetual surveillance, perpetual suspension of due process. We've still got a gulag in Cuba where 170 men have not been charged or tried. That's awful. Uh, yes. That's so bad. That's not what Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin and George Washington and all the unnamed female patriots and you know patriots of color at the time intended for our country to be. So Sarah, what do you think about this? Well, this is, you know, it's kind of a sad commentary again. This is a loss of our republic. And this is what she's trying to say. And 
we talked about it a lot and we all remember talking about it a lot five years ago or I don't I think it was about five years ago but we haven't talked about it since maybe it was since 2001 it came out so maybe it's been a decade now but it's dying to people aren't talking about it anymore and that's that's a scary that's a scary thing she says we're still talking about it but not like we did right she thought it would be gone like it was just there temporarily no now it's a part of our republic and that's a that changed that fundamentally changed who we are and you know we we have to look at that yeah yes we do well Another point about this, and, and this is really uh, interesting, because you're going to speak again with uh, Michael John. Is that his name? Michael Johns. Uh, talking a little bit about taxes. Let's hear what he has to say about the situation, about the taxation situation in our country. Well, this is really a sign of our times. You know, the the fight of, of the 1% against the rest of us, you know, back in 1929, before the the collapse and the depression, the wealth disparity was was huge, and it was the largest it's ever been in the history. Well, now we're back at that point, and I think we're beyond that now. And it's an unhealthy place to be. And you know, and so people are complaining that they're not being taxed enough. But what they're doing is they're pointing figures in the you wrong. Mean they're being, you, you mean they're being taxed? The too wealthy. Much. The wealthy aren't oh, oh. being taxed. Well, both are saying the same, the opposite stuff. You know, Democrats are saying the wealthy aren't being taxed enough. The Republicans are saying they're taxed enough already, right? Well, now you've got to go, okay, well, what's really the truth? Well, if you look at corporations, corporations are, we have the highest tax rate in the world. Yeah, but we, 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 also have, we have also probably, uh, in most cases, the major corporations not paying anywhere near that because okay, of well now laws. that's another situation. Now that's well, that, another that is factor. a definite. I mean, that's a definite so, factor. No, so, it's a huge factor. So now, but what that factor is is that's loopholes in the tax code. Okay, so now we have small businesses, middle-sized businesses, ones that are not connected to the power structure, paying through the nose in taxes. Yeah, right. And then we have, which is not right, which is keeping holding people down and keeping that disparity large, right? If we can get small businesses and middle-sized businesses making money and thriving, more money goes out to the middle class and, and you know, thriving keeps us moving along. Whereas the large corporations who are who are actually becoming international, who are really international companies, are the ones who are getting all these loopholes and tax breaks. And so much of I have another interview with Alan Walensky, who was the assistant tax secretary under um, George Bush. And what he talks about is that the tax code is really where legislation, a lot of legislation occurs because it's so hard to get laws passed through Congress. So all these loopholes and all these incentives are being put in the tax code. The problem is when you have lobbyists and you have all these people with influence, they're getting their own loopholes put in there and they're not paying taxes. But why are we incenting international companies who are taking their dollars and investing elsewhere and having them not pay taxes on local profits? That, you know, where, what's that? So, you know, there, there's issues. <laughs> well, we should be taxing our little companies and our middle-sized companies to death. Well, we're going to, uh, on that score, we're going to take a little bit of a break and be right back. This next song is called Palm Springs Lullaby. I composed the lyrics, and the music was written and produced by Edgar Ahrens, also a wonderful musician, and sung by Patricia Welch. It kind of expresses the way I felt when I came to Palm Springs in the first place, but exaggerated is kind of a almost a desperate kind of feeling to the song, almost like there's a 
there's a serious chase involved. But I did use that feeling I had of escaping to a place that was almost miraculously beautiful from a place that was not so pleasant. It's called Palm Springs Lullaby. Escaping from the dawn We flee to desert skies The final dance is on With no more This is Johnny Blue Star. I've worked as a lyricist with Patricia Welch for over five years, along with Russian composer Edgar Ahrens, a friend and colleague. Her ability as a singer is simply amazing. She brings a unique and dramatic flair to every song she sings. Over the next few months, we shall be releasing a number of these songs, part of an album called Hadley's Castle. Meanwhile, Patricia has been busy creating a super enjoyable collection of classic standards and an exciting 46-song, three-CD collection. Music for great entertaining introduces cocktails, dinner, and dessert with Patricia Welch. Three hours of continuous music. 46 of the all-time classic standards spanning decades of hit songs. Going to a friend's home for dinner? Cocktails, dinner, and dessert with Patricia also makes the perfect hostess gift. This three-CD compilation is the perfect background music that sets just the right mood for any dinner party. I'm crazy for feeling so lonely To purchase this album, just go to patriciawelch.com forward slash CD. That is patriciawelch.com forward slash CD. You won't be disappointed. Boots in Manhattan is a coming-of-age novel by Ray Boylan and Johnny Bluestar. It is about a young Tom Boots Raymond who grows up in New York in the 1940s who was a member of a street gang. 
My friends and I were about to start our own game of stickball when Rabbit Lacey, the head of the Rattlers, came up to us and tried to move in on our game. We were called dwarves, the youngest members of this stupid gang. Hey, Kevin, I need you to get some gloves and some stuff I left at my place. No, this is our game. Hey, are you my good little dwarf or what? You've been calling me a dwarf since I was six. We're not your personal slaves, pal. Hey, what is this? A dwarf rebellion? All right, big guy. We ditch the dwarf thing. We make you guys regular rattlers. No, it's too late. He looked at Jay and me. We looked away. Rabbit was now angry, and he pushed Kevin hard with the palms of his hand. Kevin tried to ram him in the stomach, but he stepped aside, throwing Kevin into the curb where he fell to the ground, bleeding profusely at the knee. Still, he managed to get up. My street. Kevin shouted at Rabbit, pointing at him with an angry index finger. Find out more by Googling Boots in Manhattan, a 1940s coming-of-age novel, part one of the novel series The Foot Soldier by Ray Boylan and Johnny Bluestar. Google with the words Boots in Manhattan, Ray Johnny Kindle. That's Boots in Manhattan, Ray Johnny Kindle. Uh, this is Johnny Bluestar back with Sarah Westall discussing disruption in politics and economy. At least that's what we've been talking about so far. But, you know... These are largely negative type of disruption, unfortunately. I would like to say that they're not, but they are. So right now, Sarah has not just invested herself in the via negativa, but has also been really involved in trying to find sources of disruption that are absolutely positive. Tell us about some of these things that you've discovered. Well, you know, there's amazing things going on. We are just in an amazing part of history right now. Sure, there's lots of stuff going on politically, economically. You know, and part of it is we're starting to understand what's going on because we have this Internet, which allows communication. It's kind of it's, – it's a lot like the printing press. When the printing press came around, instead of it being just – the information being kept kept amongst the elites. Now everybody was able to read books and get information. Well, this is that on hyperdrive. Instead of a one-way interaction with books, it's a multiple interaction. So everybody's being able to interact with everybody, and communication is lightning speed. And so it's just this renaissance of information. And so it's it's a fundamentally changing the way we are as people. And it's an exciting time to be alive. Yes, there's issues with politics and, and economics. There's issues with, you know, the technology, the technology in the military is scary, right? We, we, while we can do amazing things with our health and we can do amazing things with each other and, and we can live better, we can also hurt ourselves <laughs> much easier. And that's something that we have to be careful of. We know enough to be dangerous concept. But at the same time, when you look at where we were hundreds of years ago compared to where we are now, there's a, there's a stat, there's a statistician out of, gosh, I can't remember what country he is from, but I have, I have it on my website, or I used to have it on my website. I'm going to put it back up so people can, can see it. But it, it's three years, it's, it's 200 countries in 200 years, in, or it's at 300 countries in 300 years and three minutes, something like that. And it shows the advancement of humankind over that those centuries and how much our health and our wages have gone up and how much our, our just 
living has improved. And so when you start looking at the advancements of technology now, when you look at healthcare, the ability for us to look at human adult stem cells and regrow muscle tissue, you know, that kind of stuff. And people are getting out of wheelchairs. The problem is it's it, we still have a lot of politics and economic issues where it's illegal in this country, but legal all over Europe and Japan, but not here in the United States. You're talking about adult stem cells, right? Yes, adult stem cells. There's so many advancements in medicine that is just amazing. We have, there's pillars of excellence all over the world, not just in the United States, but other places in the world. We're making huge advancements. Um, we've come so far to understanding ca and cancer. You know, people have to get out of their, their box that they're in in this country and realize that there's other things going on around the world. Huge advancements in medicine that can really alter people's lives in positive ways. There's people working on aging. They think it's a disease. They, they've come to the point where they're really making strides on different aspects of aging so that we can live so much longer and so much better. It, it's, it's just fascinating how, how much better we, have, we are today. You know, you couple that with all the, the bad stuff that we hear on a daily basis. And yeah, there is a lot of bad stuff. But We've overcome slavery, right? Still, there's slavery in the world, but not like it was. It's not like it used to be. You know, we're so much better off, and things are getting better. But, you know, it's a constant struggle, and we all have to work together to make it better. But there's so many positive things going on. 3D yeah. printing, 3D printing of tissue. You know, how amazing is that? They have hyper... Uh, hyper-realistic holograms where they have they can bring people like Michael Jackson and I had an interview on this with the um, the head of the medical unit of this you know the people that own the Michael Jackson and the Marilyn Monroe and and Elvis Presley images and they they're so hyper-realistic that it looks like you're they're actually on stage you know performing like they they never died it's, uh, it's right amazing. I see yes that yeah, is. it's amazing. And they're able to do uh, political speeches. Like, let's say somebody is in Washington and they want to do speeches all around the country at the same time and they put them up on stage and it looks like they're there with you. You can't tell the difference. Well, virtual reality is going to... There are two things that I see coming as extraordinary differences. And one of them is virtual reality basically inserting itself into everything that we do. And the second thing is robots. Well, robots, yes. It's the, the interesting part of how we get robots to work, the technology behind that, the thinking behind that, and what they can actually accomplish, which is fascinating. But what, what I think is, is even more fascinating is our ability to tap into our, our own neural you know, neurology into our own uh, spine and our, all of our nerves and our brain and be able to, for example, project images right from our brain. Like if we have a video on Mars, they can project it right to our brain like we're seeing it ourselves from Mars. Oh, really? You know? Yeah. Now, how fascinating would that be? Like, okay, you also have, they also have, uh, what do you call it? Like hand, you know, like suits that you can get onto that makes it seem like you're actually touching something. You know, it's pressurized. So if you have an image going through your brain, making it look like you're actually there, and you have a suit on that makes you feel like you're there, are you there mentally? You know, you feel like you are. They're getting to the point where they can do some of that stuff, and that's where it's really amazing. Well, it's, going to be, it's going to be rather strange, though, if at some point in the near future, after this has been rooted more in our culture, that people start to get born with very large heads. 
like our our anatomy changes. Yeah, and, I don't st- and we start slowly turning gray and having tr- and having trouble reproducing in the real world because we're doing all this stuff virtually. Yeah. Well, I, I think people will get addicted to it. Yes. But there's some positives too. I mean, think about going into a, a health club that's all virtual reality and we get in, we can do sports how we want to. Yeah. Get I, into I, shape I, I, and, it's like everything else. It's a two-edged sword. Yes, it is. You know, I'm drinking coffee now. That's a two-edged sword. <laughs> well, caffeine, they think caffeine's not that bad for you. And that depends on the, on the yes, it era does. of the science. <laughs> it really does. In another... 10 years, they're going to think it's awful for you and you got to stop drinking it again. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Sarah, I'd like you to talk a little bit about where things are going for you in business game changers and, you know, how to access it. Because I'll tell you now, I've heard more about it. I think I'm going to have to take off a month and just listen to it continually and get all your archives uh, properly. Um, well, let me tell you. Understanding. Yeah, if you sit and listen to all my shows, you the amount of learning that you'll do is absolutely through the roof. It, it's absolutely amazing. I will tell you there's nothing out there, this archive, there's nothing out there that's better than this archive. It is absolutely amazing. I go and I listen to some older interviews and I, I can't believe what I learn again. I'm, you know, I'm talking to the best experts in the world on subjects that are on the edge of where we're at and it's it's absolutely amazing. And if you really want to learn, you listen to some of these shows. It's incredible. And I'm where I'm going is, you know, I find myself being pulled a little bit more into political and economic stuff because people are really interested in that. But I want to still keep that balance of, uh, you know, uh, documenting the edge of what's going on and talking to the brilliant people around the world. It's I call it business game changers because everything's related to business in some way. If you can't make money on it, unfortunately, things don't go forward. But things that are worthwhile for society, there's always a way to to put money behind it and back it and make it work for us. So uh, where where does it go next? I mean, tell us about where it's being broadcast right now. Well, right now it's out of New York, Rhode Island, and Connecticut. And it airs all over Long Island and also gets into Manhattan. So it's a great place that it's airing. And then it's also streams live on multiple channels, including Transformation Talk Radio. Transformation Talk Radio is growing super fast. It was created by Dr. Pat, the woman that does the Dr. Pat show. And she is the number one talk, positive talk show in Seattle. And she's syndicated all over the world. And she created this transformation talk radio. And I am doing the conscious business radio to help really grow that. And I like being on that network. They won the International Stevie Award for Best Team. And and so I like the working with the people. But it is their goal is to transform lives in a positive way. And and so I, I like being part of something like that. But of course, I'm one of I'm kind of my own entity in and of itself. And I'm growing my own thing. My goal is to be the place that leaders go to figure out what's going on. I want to be a source for leaders in this country. I want my archives to be a source for leaders. And I don't want to just do things that are for publicity's sake. I don't want to get just, you know, I know it's going to get the rating, so I'm going to bring somebody in to talk about something that's really juicy. I, I want to bring things in that really educate and inspire people with the top minds in the world. And that's my goal. And what a great goal that is. I think that um, it's been a real pleasure to, to have you on today. We have been speaking about, I think, really important things, <clears throat> as we always have when we have roundtables or, 
other programs that you contribute to. So I hope that everybody out there will keep in mind that the people who create alternative media are also the people who may create an alternative to help create an alternative to the mess that we're in right now. I started Threshold Radio with the idea that it would promote a way of looking and analyzing the world from a spiritual point of view. But besides a talk radio show, I wanted it to be a platform for original music, music that would be produced by singers, songwriters, musicians, and composers that felt that music was transformatory, that it could be an instrument of change. In accordance with my personal goal to create music of this nature and to create an association of musical talent of like mind, I call this subdivision of my company Bridge of Light Productions, as though a bridge of light would extend throughout the planet Earth and fill it with light, a form of a kind of conduit for the, this uh, wonderful music that, that we would create. So far, the participants in the musical side of Threshold are Edgar Ahrens, Patricia Welch, Patty Greer, Stephanie Slevin, Zave Nathan, and Bonnie Blazak. None of this would be possible, neither Bridge of Light, nor New Galaxy Enterprises, nor Threshold Radio, without the assistance of Hassan Khan, a director of technical services. Hassan is also a guitar player and flautist, whose work you will be hearing soon on this program. Today we're going to leave with two very powerful and transformatory songs, Change by Zay Nathan and Bonnie Blazak, and We Want Our Planet Back by Patty Greer. So thank you for coming, and we'll see you next week. Thank you very much.
on earth worth living. They're the kind that enables men and nations to grow and to hope and build a better life for their children. Peace for all men and women. Peace in all times. It's falling in our eyes 
is And it's getting harder to see The beauty that is our world And the freedom to be free Freedom, freedom to be free. free. 